Well, hey everyone, my name is Steven and I am one of the pastors here at Journey Church. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that this helps you on your walk with Jesus, but also that it encourages you to get plugged into a local community of believers. Hey, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that being isolated from others is not how God intended us to live. So be sure to use this resource in conjunction with being plugged into your local church. Hey, we hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. Memorial Day to everyone. Thank you for joining us today and being a part of our services. And we are very thankful at Memorial Day for those who served in the military and those, especially those who gave their lives, laid down their lives for the fact that uh, we could have freedom and enjoy this freedom today. So I hope that you're enjoying Memorial Day. I hope that you will remember and reflect upon that here today, that uh, we live in the country we do and we enjoy the freedoms that we have because people gave their lives and willingly Went to, uh, went to conflict uh, on our behalf. Well, today we are in part number four of six in a series of messages that I have titled Living a Godly uh, Life in an Ungodly World. We are in 2 Chronicles chapters 14 through 17 as we go through this study, and all of this is really being built upon the ideas out of 2 Peter. In 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, it says this, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what kind of people should you be? Live your lives in holiness and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. That's the idea behind all of this, is that we are called to live a holy and godly life looking at the coming of our God, coming back of Jesus, making sure that our hearts and our lives are ready. So what we have been looking at is the uh, person, by the name of King Asa. He is a king out of the Old Testament that many of you probably don't know much about. You've probably not heard much teaching about him, but he's got an incredible picture that gives us the ideas of what a godly life looks like in a very ungodly world. He lived in an ungodly society. He, he uh, gained power through the death of his father and his grandfather. Uh, also would have been the great, great, great grandson of King David. Uh, King David was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who followed the Lord, led his nation in the right way, but it would become corrupt under the next several generations. King Asa did not follow in his father or his grandfather's footsteps. Instead, he made sure that the country turned back to God, and that would not happen until he turned his life back to God. It's a good picture for all of us that our lives need to make sure that we are following the Lord with all of our heart. And you don't have to be the product of what you have come out of. You don't have to be the product of a dysfunctional family system. You can be different. You can make the determination that I'm going to follow God no matter what. He is going to be mine and I'm going to be his no matter what the cost. King Asa did that. He went through the nation when he became king and he got rid of anything that was part of idolatry worship in that time. He cut down all of the Asherah poles. He cut down and broke down all of the altars, all of the temples. He made sure that the people were following the Lord and they were turning the nation back to God. He would enjoy 10 years of rest and then all of the sudden he would be in the midst of a battle. A nation would come in Coming against his kingdom, this nation would come from the south, it would come from the area in Africa against the Israelites. It was an unexpected battle, and it was a battle that was intense. It was a battle in which they were outnumbered. The people of Judah, which 
which Asa was king of, were outnumbered two to one. It was a battle that just hit them from nowhere. It was something that came unexpectedly upon them. It felt impossible, but they cried out to God, and God delivered them from the situation that they were in. In the same way, we have battles in life that just hit us out of nowhere. We weren't expecting them. We weren't anticipating them. They just were thrust upon us, and now we find ourselves in the midst of a battle with impossible odds where it seems like we are being outnumbered two to one. Yet God came through in a miraculous way. He defeated the enemy before King Asa and his people in the same way that God fights the battles on our behalf. As King Asa and the, and the Israelites or the, uh, those in Judah were coming back home after this battle that they had been in, God gave them a warning to make sure that they stayed close to God. God fought for them, and he expects them to stay close to him as they move forward. We learned last week that God wants us to pursue him. God is desiring us to pursue him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. In the nations that do not pursue him, there will be darkness. Darkness will come over the land in the nation that does not pursue God. It will also come over the home where the home is not following and pursuing God. And it will come over the individual heart of a person who is not pursuing God. God brings us back to him by allowing us to go through trials in life, brokenness, and pain because those things will drive us back to God. And then finally, there is a reward and a blessing for following God that he will bless you with the shalom, that's what we talked about last week, that every heart longingly desires. Well, today we're going to continue the story in 2 Chronicles chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 10 through 19 together. So follow along with me as we read this. It says this, So they, that is King Asa and his troops, they assembled at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of the reign of Asa. On that day, they sacrificed to the Lord, to Adonai, 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep from the spoil that they had brought. In other words, that was the plunder. That was the spoil of what they had. They brought this to God. They entered into a covenant to seek Adonai, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. Whoever would not seek Adonai, God of Israel, would be put to death, whether small or great, man or woman. They also made an oath to Adonai with a loud voice, with shouting, with trumpets, and the shofarot, that's the shofar, that's a ram's horn. All Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart, and they sought him with all their will, and he was found by them. Then Adonai gave them rest all around. He also deposed Micah, the mother of King Asa, from being queen because she had made an abominable image for Asherah. Asa cut down her abominable image, crushed it, and burned it in the Kidron Valley. Though the high places were not removed from Israel, still Asa's heart was completely committed to Adonai all his days. Now remember, Israel was a separate kingdom from Judah. It had split into two. The northern half was Israel. The southern half was Judah. And it says that Israel, the northern half, did not abolish the idolatry. The southern half, what the, the area that Asa was king over, they had. He continued to follow God. He continued to be committed to him all his days. 
He brought into the house of God his father's consecrated articles, as well as his consecrated articles of silver and gold and utensils. So there was, as a result of all of this, no war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. Today's message in this series of messages is titled, Making a Commitment to God, or another title could have been, What Does a Godly Commitment Actually Look Like? Let's pray as we begin. Father, help us to hear from you today. Help us to honor and praise your name. Help us to understand your word and help your word, though it was written generations ago, Lord, thousands of years ago, help it to apply to us here today. Help us to learn from the events of that day. Help us to learn from the commitment made on that day. And I pray, Father, that we would be making the same commitment with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength to you this day. Lord, there are some in this room who don't know you, who have never entered into a relationship with you. And I pray that today would be the day where they make a commitment to you with all of their heart, with all of their mind, with all of their soul, and with all of their strength. Thank you for what you're going to do among us. May the power of your Holy Spirit be at work in here, and may we learn through our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen. What does a commitment look like? As God's people, as Christians, we are called to make a commitment to God. We are called to be fully committed to God. In fact, God desires us to love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. But the question is, what is a commitment? What does a commitment actually look like? There's a good example of what a commitment looks like in the story of a guy by the name of Cortez. Cortez would have been the Spanish explorer that landed in Mexico in 1519. When he got into Mexico with his 500 men who were with him, he burned all of their ships so that none of them would be tempted to turn and go back. A commitment is where you take your old life and you put it aside, you put it in the past, in the rearview mirror, and you say, I will be different going forward. I will be God's going forward. I will be on a journey for him as I go forward in life. No turning back. I have decided that I'm going to follow Christ. That's the commitment that he wants all of us to make. No turning back. No going back to the old lifestyle. No going back to the old ways. I will turn and I will follow Jesus with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's his expectation of us, is that we become like that. But sadly, very few Christians are actually like that. A survey done by Gallup, a Gallup poll survey, found these numbers. That less than 10% of those who call themselves Christians in America are actually deeply committed to the Lord. Meaning that 90% of people who say they're a Christian are very loosely committed to God. Only 10% are very committed to Christ. Now, the result of the survey found that these committed Christians were far happier than the rest of the population. They were far more accepting of others than other Americans were and other Christians were. They were also more likely to give, and they were more likely not just to give to the church, but to charities in general. They were more giving as people. Committed Christians, who there are so very few of, is what God expects. He wants people to be committed to him with everything that they have. 
The people of God in the time of King Asa made a commitment to the Lord. But the commitment that they made was not called a commitment. In Bible times, it was called a covenant relationship. The people of God were making a covenant with him. Now, the word covenant in the Hebrew language means a pledge, a treaty, or an alliance. But it's more than that. A covenant in Bible times was always considered to be binding, permanent, and enduring. A covenant is what God desires his people to make. Not just a commitment. Go beyond a commitment and make a covenant with me. A covenant that cannot be broken. A covenant that is binding. A covenant that is enduring. And a covenant that is permanent. Do you know that that's the picture of what marriage is supposed to be today? For those of you that are married or those of you that are considering marriage, did you know that the reason God hates divorce is because the marriage relationship is a covenant relationship? God sees it as a covenant. It's the same model of the kind of relationship he has with each one of us, and he expects it to be the same. In the marriage ceremony itself, you may have remembered these words, but in the marriage ceremony itself, <clears throat> excuse me, when a pastor is doing the ceremony, you will get to that part where you will promise to each other that you will love each other no matter what. Remember the words that are said? For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till inconvenience do us part, right? No. Tell death do us part. God's picture of a marriage relationship is one of covenant. When you stand before a pastor and you make a promise to the other person, you are making a covenant. That's why we tell people, do not enter into it lightly because God is serious about this. When you say, I do, you are promising permanence, endurance, you're promising it's going to be binding. Now, when God looks at us, he uses throughout Scripture the same metaphor, that we are the bride of Christ, that we enter into a marriage relationship with Jesus, and that we are essentially saying, I do, to him. God the Father looks at the Son and says, do you take this sinful bride to be your bride for better, for worse, richer, for poor, sickness and in health till death do, do us part? And Jesus says, I do. And then we in turn to God say, I do. And we enter into something that God expects to be permanent, binding, and enduring. In the covenant relationship, there were always three stages that happened. There were three phases to making a covenant, and that was always the covenant, the covenant making, the covenant keeping, and then what happened when there was covenant violation. God would punish the covenant violation. You know that Jesus says to us, if you really want to be my disciple, if you really want to be my follower, take up your cross, deny yourself, put yourself on that cross, and follow me. We are called to make such a commitment that we are willing to sacrifice our lives for the sake of Jesus. Paul says the same thing in Galatians 2.20 when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. And so God calls us not just to make a commitment. He calls us to make a covenant. 
Well, in this example that I read from King Asa, there are four things about commitments or covenants made before God and his people. So let's learn about these together this morning. The first thing is this that I want you to see about covenants, and that is covenants are personal. Covenants are personal. A covenant relationship is a personal decision that each one of us make before God. In the same way that a marriage is a personal decision that, a, that one makes with the other, a bride makes to the groom, the groom makes to the bride, it is personal. The covenant relationship made by the people of Judah at that time was a very personal decision. It was made in a group setting, but it was a personal decision made by each person. Let's look at this. So they assembled, meaning all of them got together. The whole nation got together. They all assembled together at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of the reign of Asa. On that day, they sacrificed all kinds of animals, bulls and sheep, from the spoil that they had brought. By the way, this is just a little side note. I didn't mention this in first, but the word spoil there in the Hebrew language means of the top. The spoil was given to God of the top of everything else. Do you know that that's the model of what tithing is? Tithing is giving to God of the top. God doesn't get the leftovers, he gets off the top. Hopefully that makes sense. That's just a little side note. First service didn't get that, so there you go. You get a little free nugget for you today. They gave to God from the spoil that they had brought. Now look what it says. They entered into a covenant. That's what we're talking about, covenant. Not commitment, covenant. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, seek Adonai the God of their fathers, how were they going to seek him? With all their heart and with all their soul. That's what God is expecting. You make a covenant with me to seek me with all your heart and with all your soul. Now look at the consequences though. Whoever would not seek Adonai, God of Israel, would be put to death. That's a pretty serious consequence whether small or great, man or woman. In other words, I don't care who you are. I don't care who you think you are. I don't care what position or power you have. If you will not seek God, you will be put to death. Now that's a very, very severe consequence. If we said that in our country today, um, there would be very, very few Christians in our country. If you do not uh, seek, you're going to be put to death. There's going to be, it's going to have ramifications. But that was the consequence. If you will not seek him, you will be put to death. That was the covenant that God wanted to make. And it's a personal covenant. Look at the word whoever. That's a personal choice. It's not about what your family decides. It's not about the kind of family you grew up in. I don't care if your family went to church or didn't go to church. It's about what decision are you willing to make between you and God. It's a personal choice that nobody else has influence over. Now, people can force you to sign an agreement, but they can't get to your heart and force your heart to believe anything. That is something that is personal within you. Every covenant made with God has to be a personal choice. Now, have you made a personal choice that I will follow God the same way that they did with all my heart and with all my soul? That's what God is asking for. You must make a personal commitment, a personal covenant with the Lord. 
Number two, about covenants. Covenants are productive. They are productive. What does that mean? Well, it means this. Covenants are entered into for a variety of reasons. But the main reason somebody enters into a covenant is because they believe the benefits overshadow anything else, overshadow the cost. So when you get married and you stand up and you're going to enter into a covenant with your spouse, you are foreseeing in your mind that the benefits of this covenant outweigh any cost that is there. What benefit do you have of entering into a covenant with your spouse? Well, you are, are there to be life partners. You uh, have companionship. You are able to share in the raising of children together. You are there to, uh, to share life experiences together. That's the benefit. The benefit outweighs the cost. In the same way with God, the benefit of following him outweighs the cost of not following him. They are productive. Let's look at what it says. They also made an oath to Adonai with a loud voice. So they shouted this out. I want everybody to hear it. I want everybody to know that I am following God, that he is mine. So they made a loud shout, and they, and they had trumpets blowing, and they had ram's horns blowing. All Judah, that's the nation that Asa was king over, rejoiced over the oath. For they had sworn with all their heart, and they sought him with all their will. Now notice what two benefits came out of this. Number one, he was found by them. God was found by the people when they sought him with all of their heart. God was not hard to find. He was not hiding from them. They were just not seeking after him. As soon as they sought him, they found him. So the benefit that they received by surrendering their heart and making a covenant with God is that they found him. And all of a sudden now they were going to have something else. They also had rest all around. When you seek God with all of your heart, you will find him and there will be rest all around. Now, what, what is the word rest? We talked about that last time. It's shalom, wholeness, completeness, contentment peace, and rest. When you seek God with all of your heart, you will have rest. Now, let me tell you how this works. The rest that you have is internal. They had an external rest, but we get an internal rest. What that means to us is this, that you may have chaos happening all around you. You may have conflict you may have a marriage that is rough. You may have a job that is seriously rough. But guess what you have in the midst of all of that chaos? You have rest in your heart. You feel rest. You feel at peace, even though everywhere else it doesn't feel peaceful. The country doesn't feel peaceful. Your job may not feel peaceful. Your family may not feel peaceful. Your marriage may not. But when you make a personal commitment, a covenant with God, I will seek him with all of my heart. I will find him. And then I will have rest, even though there's not external rest all around me. I hope that that makes sense because that's the way it works with God. When you seek him, you will find me and you will have rest for your souls. Remember what Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. You have the inner rest that every soul craves and longs for. Covenants are very, very productive. Number three, covenants are permanent. 
Covenants are considered to be permanent. Do you know that contracts are temporary? My wife and I entered into a contract, a two-year contract with Dish Network, and we watched Dish Network. At the end of our two-year contract, we were free to go pursue another contract if we wanted to. We could stay with them or we could pursue something else. We were free because the contract was over. A contract has a limited period of time. That's the way that they are designed. At the end of your contract, you're free to do whatever you want to do. God intends the covenant not to be not to be temporary, not to be a limited amount of time. He considers the covenant permanent. In the same way, when you stand up and get married, don't enter it lightly. Because God expects this death, till death do you part, as a very serious commitment that is made. Now, some of you have gone through a divorce, and I know it's been painful for you. Some of you didn't even want that. It only takes one person to break it. God wants us to have covenant relationship, not only with one another, but also with him. Covenants are permanent. Now, look at what it says. Though the high places were not removed from Israel. Now remember, Israel was the northern kingdom. Judah was the southern. He can't control the northern kingdom. It's not removed from there, but it is removed from our kingdom. Still, Asa's heart was completely committed to Adonai all his days. Can that be said about you? That your heart is completely committed to God all of your days. That's what my desire is for all of us, that our hearts are firmly committed to God all of our days. That's what it was for King Asa. He realized that this is permanent. Now, here's a cool thing to know about Asa, is that he was not a perfect man by any means. In fact, in the next couple of messages, we're going to see that he was flawed, and he would make bad decisions, and he would stumble. Making bad decisions and stumbling was not enough to break the covenant because the covenant was not dependent upon him. It was dependent upon God. God made a promise and God will never break his promise. Do you know that God in the Bible uses flawed, stumbling people all the time? David, a man after God's own heart, had committed adultery and murder. Lot, who was a righteous man, he was turned aside by his companions to pursuing a greedy, a greedy way. Peter, who was one of the closest disciples with Jesus, denied him on the very day that Jesus was crucified. Time and time again, God uses flawed people to bring about his purposes God's covenants are permanent. But when God gets a hold of your heart, he wants you to stay committed to him all of your days. Number four, and the final thing, covenants are also very, very pricey. Covenants cost something. For Asa, the covenant relationship is gonna cost him in a couple of big ways. When we come to Jesus, it's gonna cost us. It's free, Jesus' grace is free, but it costs us some things in our lives. I want to show you what it cost King Asa to make that covenant with God. Look what it says. First of all, it cost him a family relationship with his mom. He also deposed Micah, 
the mother of King Asa from being queen. She was the queen mother, and her son Asa kicked her out of the kingdom. You no longer have any power. You no longer have any say. How tough would that be to your mom to say, no more power over us, no more influence over us, you're done. I think that would have been incredibly costly. But it cost him that because she had made an abominable image for an idolatrous goddess called Asherah. Asa cut down this abominable image that she had made, crushed it, and burned it in the Kidron Valley. Do you know that sometimes following the Lord and being committed to him is going to cost you relationships? It may cost you parent relationships. It may cost you brothers and sisters. It may cost you your children. It may cost you friendships. Because when you become committed to the Lord, God may be saying, you have got to get rid of those relationships because they will bring you down. They will pull you under if you do not sever the relationship. Well, King Asa severed the relationship with his mom because she was doing what was abominable in the sight of God. It may cost you family relationships. It may cost you friendships. It may cost you the person you're dating because you're dating somebody who doesn't know the Lord, doesn't want anything to do with the Lord, has no desire to follow the Lord, and God may be saying to you, it's time to cut that relationship off because it's unhealthy and toxic, and it will not ever honor me. Second thing that it cost Asa was not just these relationships, but it cost him wealth. Here's what it says. Though the high places were not removed from Israel, again, that was the north, still Asa's heart was completely committed to Adonai all his days. So what did he do? He brought into the house of God, that is the temple of God, his inheritance, his father's consecrated articles, as well as everything he just made, as well as his consecrated articles of silver and gold and utensils. So everything that he had gained through his, his, this battle that just happened, all of his inheritance, all of the money that he had, he brought it all to God and laid it in God's house. So there was no war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. That is the, that's the result of all of this. Asa had peace in his heart because he surrendered every aspect of his life. Do you know that two of the major aspects of our life that God calls us to surrender are our relationships and our finances? That you take your wallet, you take your bank account, you take your stock portfolio, and you lay them before God and you say, God, this is yours. Thank you that I'm a steward of this. I will try to manage it the best way that you, you, you know, tell me to, but God, it's all yours. And so if you say, let go of something, I will let go. If you say, give something, I will give. If you say, help, I will help, because it's not mine anymore, God, it's yours. Do you know one of the greatest tests of commitment is your wallet? God desires us to finally say, God, it's all yours. That's why tithing was so important to God because tithing was a show and a demonstration of where my heart really was. 
covenants are pricey. They will cost you something. Jesus tells us it will cost you to follow me. It will cost you everything to follow me. It will cost you more than you realize. Your selfish ambitions, your prideful desires, your greedy, your, your greedy longings, your cravings, all of it, it's going to cost it all if you really want to follow me. Covenants are what God desires for our hearts. It's the picture of commitment, but it's beyond commitment. It is fully permanent, fully binding, and fully enduring, and it requires a life that will forever be changed. I want to close with a story. And the story is a guy by the name of Chuck Colson. I don't know if any of you would remember Chuck Colson. If you've been, if you've, if you're you probably older than maybe 40, you would remember Chuck Colson. Um, he's written several books. Chuck Colson was famous because he was part of the Watergate scandal that happened under the Nixon administration. In fact, he went to jail as a result of it. Chuck Colson in jail found the Lord, or the Lord found him. He made a, desi- a complete commitment, 180 degree turn from what he was like to what he would be like. He started ministries, he wrote several books, he had a huge influence upon people. One day, Chuck Colson was on a, was on a television show. The guy's show was uh, Bill Buckley, and that may be another name that you are familiar with or, or not, um, but he was on Bill Buckley's show, and he was talking to Bill Buckley about prison reform. He had a huge ministry to prison, uh, to the prisons, to reach out to those that were incarcerated. And he talked on Bill Buckley's show about prison reform. Now, there was a man in Florida that was watching the show. The man in Florida, his name was Jack Eckert. He was the owner and president, or owner and really the CEO of Eckerd Drugstores. Some of you may remember that name, Eckerd Drugstores. There were about 1,700 across the country. This man, Jack Eckerd, was watching Chuck Colson on this, on this television show. He got a hold of him and said, you need to come here to Florida, and I want to take you all around Florida, and I want to talk to the different counties in Florida about prison reform and criminal justice reform. So Chuck Colson agreed, and he went to Florida and met Jack Eckerd. They got in his private plane, his Learjet. They flew all over the state of Florida, and every time they would go to, um, go to a, a place in Florida, they would, uh, he would introduce Chuck Colson as my good friend. He would say, here's my good friend, Chuck Colson, or Chuck Colson, I just met him, but he's still my good friend. He is a born-again Christian. I am not. I wish I was. Listen to him. He's got a lot of good to say. Well, every time they got back on the Learjet, Chuck Colson began to talk to Jack Eckerd about Christ, about the need to have a relationship with Christ, about a personal relationship with Christ. He would talk to him off and on for the next year, constantly talking to him about Jesus. He gave him multiple books to read. He gave him C.S. Lewis's uh, Mere Christianity to read. And finally, by the end of the year, Jack Eckerd became a follower of Jesus. He became born born again because he accepted Jesus into his heart and into his life. Jack Eckerd's first response after becoming a Christian was that he went into his local Eckerd drug store, he walked up and down the aisles, and he came past the books aisle. In the books aisle, there were the magazines, and one of the magazines, or a couple of the magazines that were there, were Penthouse and Playboy. He left the store, 
went back to his office, called his number two person, the president of the, of the company, and he said, I want those removed from every store we have around the country. The president said, are you kidding me? We make $3 million a year just off of those two magazines. Why in the world would you want to get rid of this? That's $3 million that you're going to cost us by getting rid of this. He said, I don't care. I don't care what the cost is. I want you to get rid of them right now. So in 1,700 stores across America, because of one man's decision to follow Christ, they got rid of those magazines. Later talking to Chuck Colson, Jack Eckerd said, uh, or Chuck Colson said to him, why, would you, why did you do this? Why was this because of your commitment that you had made before the Lord? And Jack Eckerd says, yes, it was. Why else would a man give away $3 million? Why else would I do something like that? The Lord would not let me off the hook. It didn't stop there. Jack Eckerd then began to write to all of the owners of all of the other drugstore chains that he knew and had relationship with across the country. And he would write them letters saying, you guys need to get rid of those magazines, remove them from your shelves. He never got a response, ever, probably because they felt such conviction. But then an amazing thing happened. Eckerd Drugstores, because of the decision that he made to get rid of those magazines, Eckerd Drugstore had an immense amount of profit that was being generated because people would go to that store above all of the other stores because they weren't selling Playboy and Penthouse. And so the profits would, would rise and the business to the other drugstore chains began to decline. Well, the other drugstore chains caught on to this and they said, we can't let this happen. So they got rid of the magazines one by one. First, it was a drugstore chain called People's. Then a drugstore chain called Dart Drug. Then a drugstore chain called Revco. Finally, the chairman of 7-Eleven was also on Jack Eckerd's board, and he said, we better do the same, so 7-Eleven got rid of it across all 5,000 of their stores. By the end, 11,000 stores got rid of all of the Playboy, all of the penthouse from their stores because they didn't want to do anything that was associated with that. Why did they do that? It was because of one man's decision to follow Christ. We often think that the way change happens in society is by going to the government. You know, the government, they're going to pass a a law. They're going to they're write a bill. They're going to discuss the bill. They're going to pass the bill into law. And then, but then when that happens, the ACLU will step up with lawsuits. And so the whole process of change will take 10 years. That's not God's timetable. God can change by getting a hold of just one heart. By not letting somebody off the hook, he can change society. That's the kind of commitment that God wants us to make. God, what do I need to do? What do I need to change? What do I need to get rid of? How can I follow you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, and with all of my strength? Many centuries later, after King Asa and the people of Judah made that covenant, Jesus would gather in an upper room with his disciples and they would share the Passover meal, and he would announce a new covenant. This covenant is personal. Each person has to decide what they're going to do with Jesus. 
This covenant is productive. When you partner with Jesus, you will be freed from the penalty of sin and you will be able to look forward to eternity with God. This covenant is permanent. Once you join him, God will not change his mind. He is the permanent promise-keeping God. Even when we fail at times to meet his expectations, he will not give up on you. This covenant that Jesus made is pricey. While it initially cost Jesus his life, it costs us everything to follow him. That's what he is asking us to make. The same way that the people following King Asa, the same decision that they made, we are called to follow him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. Are you committed to God like that? Are you following him with all of your heart? Have you surrendered your life to his leading? Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can learn from this example of King Asa, that we can understand what a covenant relationship looks like. More than a commitment, we are entering into a covenant with you, a covenant that is binding and enduring and permanent. You will not change your mind, God. You don't change and, and not follow through on your promises. You are the promise-keeping, promise-making God. And if you said it, it is true. I pray, Lord, today that we in this place would be committed to you in that same way. If there are anyone in this room, Lord, or watching online that has not made a permanent commitment to you, I pray that today would be the day where that person makes a personal decision that says, Jesus, I am sorry for the sins of my life. I am sorry for the things that I have done. Lord, would you please forgive me? I want you in my heart and I want you in my life. And I pray that you would come into my heart and make me new. Lord, we make a covenant before you to seek after you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. May we be committed to you all of the days of our lives like King Asa was. Thank you that even if we stumble and even if we fall, even if we trip, you will not quit on us. Thank you that you are a God of mercy, a God of love, and a God of grace. And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thanks for listening to that message. We hope that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to Journey, head to our website, journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your gift helps us to continue providing resources like this every single week. Also, be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website for updates and additional information. Hey, God bless you guys and have a great day.